That's in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament. And we've been uh, talking about this series called Branded. And, and week one we talked about um, being branded as a, as a negative thing. And even in the world today, uh, Christian is a pretty negative brand. And, um, and concluded that the reality is that he's called us to something bigger than that. And that when the church doesn't lead with love, that we're taking steps backwards. Whenever we don't lead with love... We're taking steps backwards. We, the churches have led with power, with judgment, with fear, with all kinds of things. But I, I want to encourage you that we have to learn how to love and love well. And then last week we talked about insiders and outsiders, that, that God has specifically said that we have uh, certain parameters we're supposed to live by and that the world is not held accountable to the same standards that we're held accountable for and that our job is to ju- judge us as insiders and allow God to judge those who are on the outside. It's our job to judge on the inside and not allow things that are happening inside to continue. And, and we made this kind of... a. Uh, I guess you could say it's a, uh, a motto or is that, you know, sin shouldn't be safe in church, but it's not about condemnation, okay? We have to have sin rooted out and stop worrying about a sin-filled world. That's where we have evangelism. But the stuff that goes on in every day lives, we can't harbor it. We can't allow it to continue to grow because it'll infect the body. And even talked about that, like it being yeast that gets worked its way through. And, and we definitely don't want that. We want God to be honored and glorified. And we want lives that are going to be blessed. And so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about uh, this as well, about being salt and light. And they'll set the stage for you of what Jesus is doing. He's just starting his public ministry. He's been baptized, and he's kind of acquired a group of people that he calls disciples, and, and that's what really we're supposed to be called as well. And he's really starting this by, he, he climbs up on a tall hill, the Mount of Olives, and he begins to gather his people to him, and he begins to teach. And what he begins to teach is pretty amazing considering the context. And, and if you're not a historian, and if you've never read this part of the passage, or you haven't read behind the scenes of, of what's going on in the Bible, you just see the, the ink on the page, you have to understand that the, the Jewish people for ages and ages have been uh, under pressure They've been uh, as slaves, they've been ridiculed, they've been exterminated, they've been uh, dispersed, and now they're in a spot where Rome, this powerful government, has been taking over huge sections of the world, and now they find themselves in occupied Rome where they have this, uh, I can't even say it, it's a, a, a non-violent situation, uh, they, they don't want the Romans there. And they're waiting, because of prophecy, they're waiting for the Deliverer to come to restore the nation. But what they've been waiting for all this time is a warrior to step forth, to lead them and to kick out the Romans and to bring them back to their glory days. And so here's, here's Jesus, while, while he's beginning to speak, and he's speaking to people who are being oppressed and abused by the Romans, and here's his big way to tell people uh, how they should act, and what they're supposed to believe like. And it's pretty contrary to probably what they thought they were going to hear. And I also believe this morning it's going to be contrary to how many of us have perceived how we're supposed to live in the culture around us. And so if you've ever thought or heard, hopefully not from a pastor, that we as Christians are supposed to be culturally relevant, I want you to drop that to the floor and stomp on it 
uh, vehemently because God has not called us to be culturally relevant. He has called us to embrace culture and to impact culture, but he has not called us to be like culture. And so Jesus gives us this list that is countercultural, and you're going to see this this morning. So here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, he says, One day uh, he saw the crowds gathering. He went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples, those that follow him, we talked about that in the past couple weeks, they gathered around him and he began to teach them. Now, this is not just the 12 disciples. This is a large group of, of people. And this is what he says. And this is from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, or those that are peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. But be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, isn't this amazing that he starts his public, public message of not saying, hey, we're going to rally together, we're going to get together, we're going to come together as Jews, and we're going to kick out the Romans, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. There's no battle plan. In fact, what he's talking about is a whole different set of internal features for each one of us. And notice that it's very contrary. I don't know if you live in the world like I live in the world, but this seems like a very sharp contrast to what I see in the world. So look what he says real quick of what he he says, Jesus says, that God blesses people for. What's the first one? God blesses those who are poor. And, and yours may say poor in spirit. Okay? Not arrogant. How many of you see a lot of arrogance in the world today? Especially in America. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. In fact, for those of you that need to know this, it says that God directly opposes the proud. Now think about that for a minute. Whenever we as a church stand up and armor up and power up and get prideful, God himself, regardless of whether whether the church or not, says, I'm against that. I can't bless that. I won't bless that. And so as followers... We have to be people that determine, I'm going to be poor in spirit. It's not all about me. It's not about my money. It's not about my status. I'm going to be somebody that I understand that there's some mourning, there's some loss for us as Christians. I'm going to be humble. In fact, he says, if you can be humble, you can inherit the whole earth. Look at this next one. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness. Think about that. Think of what we see in the world today of how much injustice is going on, and it just seems like it keeps rolling and steamrolling, and yet he has put us on this planet to be people who stand up for righteousness, and he says you have to actually hunger 
and thirst for it. You don't start a GoFundMe page. You actually hunger and thirst for it. I want to see righteousness. It becomes part of who you are, not just something that you do. I love that it says when you begin to hunger and thirst for those things, you'll be satisfied. He'll pour it out in abundance for you. Number seven, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, you know me. Here's the problem, is that with each one of these, it's like a math equation. So if if it works this way on this side of the equation, it's got to work the other way on this side of the equation, right? So if 2 plus 4 equals 6, then... 4 plus 2 has to equal 6, and 6 minus 4 has to equal 2, right? That makes sense? The equation has to work both ways. So notice he says that those who are merciful will be shown mercy, so those who don't show mercy will be... Right? We should be the most merciful, graceful people on the planet. Because when we do that, not just because we follow God, understand that we receive mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Now listen, we live in a sin-filled world. But we have to remember that it's He, Jesus, that makes us pure and makes us holy and makes us perfect. But that's no excuse to live a life that is contrary to the Bible or contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And then to pour all of that and say, oh, grace, Grace is when you didn't mean it and it's an oops and he didn't kill you. That's grace. Grace is not, yeah, I know it's wrong, but it's okay. It's not okay. So this is what he's saying. We should have a heart that's pure. I want to do the right thing. Not because it's easy or not because I've gotten to the place where, hey, I just, I don't sin anymore. I don't believe that's going to happen until he comes back. But it means that I should strive that I remove those things. That's what pure means, right? It's not some social or science or mental check. Oh, I'll just switch to pure. You think about like a pure extract or pure water. What does that mean? It's not tainted. It's not contaminated. It's been filtered, right? And that's the process that he uses his Holy Spirit on us to filter us so that we become increasingly pure. But if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, guess what happens? You're mixed. You're tainted. Right? Those of you that live in the Longview area, you know how the water is horrible. It's not pure. (laughs) It hasn't been filtered enough. (laughs) I've got a filter in my refrigerator. I have to change about every four months because it gets full of silica because it's in the water. How would you feel about drinking water tainted with lead or arsenic or chemicals from bug spray? You can't see it, you can't smell it, but it's in there. What do you think the cumulative effect over time would be on our bodies? That's the same effect that happens when we live in a world full of sin and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to filter it out of us through prayer, confession, and seeking Him. We should be people that are striving to have pure hearts, not pure motives all the time. That's a whole different thing. Verse 9 God blesses those who work for peace. Listen, church, if if ever there was a time for us to be peacemakers, now is the time. 
in the hotbed of all the warfare that's going on. It starts on social media, and it just escalates from there. It starts in, in debates and problems. And we need to be people that are peacemakers, right? He has not called us to be peacekeepers. He has called us to be peacemakers. That's what he's called us to be. Now, think about what he's just told this audience. You're a bunch of poor people that you need to have pure hearts. You're going to have a lot of mourning. You're going to have situations. You need to learn to be merciful. And he's talking to people that are being oppressed by a vicious government, and this is not what they wanted to hear. Maybe just like some of you this morning, this is not what you wanted to hear. You wanted to hear something that powers you up and gets you all... I'm, I'm, I'm here to point us back to God because I put my full hope and my trust in Him and I hope that you will as well. And His ways are not our ways. When it feels like we should attack, it's probably the last thing we should do. And when we feel like we should just sit down and shut up, that's probably the last thing we should do. And I find that we're in this weird contrary pattern with God when He's like, I'm just looking for someone to stand in their gap and we're like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm a little busy. And other times he's saying, I'm just looking for somebody to make peace. And we're like, nope, i got to answer this. i got to send this three-page rant. It's not our job to do that. He hasn't called us to do that. He's called us to something higher. And I'll empower you again as I have times in the past. You have the right and the ability. You do not have to answer anything on social media. Sometimes the best thing to do is not to answer her. We're not called to give inflammatory remarks. We're not called to be trolls, to poke out somebody's problems and their inadequacies. Our job is to be peacemakers. And some of us, let's just be honest right here, Some of that needs to start right in your own homes. You have families in disarray because words were spoken, apologies were never extended, pride powered us up and armored us up and we needed to instead make peace. And I'm telling you, it's not too late. You can start making peace today and God will bless. Notice that God blesses those that are peacemakers. Who are you at odds with that needs peace? Lay down your side. Just lay down your side. Determine I'm not going to fight. I can be humble. I can apologize for my part. I can try to make peace. Even if you didn't start it, even if it's not your fault, you still have an obligation to be a peacemaker. Now, peace can't always be made. Just understand that. But he blesses those who attempt to be peacemakers. And what a difference in the world we would make if we just followed just this section of the, of the passage, just what we've read so far, just to be completely contrary to what we see in the culture around us. Imagine the attention we'd get if we were actually people that were humble and kind and merciful and peacemakers and had pure hearts. Imagine that. And then he goes on to say, this is what you can expect for following me. Now, if it was me, this would not be the way I was going to start a movement, <laughs> right? This would not be the thing that I would send out there to really get people riled up to follow me and, and to, to conquer a kingdom. But he's not trying to conquer a kingdom. He's trying to establish values. Because he has no intention of kicking out the Romans. And your intention shouldn't be 
to change government either. Your intention should be to change you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we change the world around us. He says, you want to know what to expect for being a follower of Jesus Christ? He blesses you when people mock you and they persecute you and they lie about you and they say all kinds of evil things against you. And don't stop there because some of that stuff we bring on ourselves. <laughs> when you can't keep your mouth from flapping all the time, I, I, I get that. Then you deserve what people say about you. But here's what he says. He says, when they do those things because of me, when they know that you're a follower and because you're talking about these values and living this way and understand that people will mock you, persecute you, and lie against you because of me, because you live that way, just expect, expect that and understand that there's a reward for you in heaven, okay? That's the hard part for us, especially as Westerners. I have to wait? Well, in some fashion, but understand that the blessing is still coming on your life when you do what you're supposed to do. It may not feel like a blessing, but he's the one that blesses us and allows things into our lives for a dual purpose, to filter us and to bless us, to help us to prosper and to help us to grow. And he says, you've got to understand that they treated other people this way too. You're not alone in this. Just look through the Bible. Remember, go back to David. Go back to Saul. Go back to everybody. They've always been this problem with how the world treats people that stand up for truth and righteousness. And if you don't think that you're going to get feedback, then you're delusional. And so he's like, I'm just telling you up front, when you choose these values, it's not an easy path. When you choose these values, people are going to lie about you and they're going to mock you, and they're going to criticize you, and you better be ready for that. I'm glad he tells them up front. Isn't that great? Instead of waiting for all that to happen, he says, oh yeah, I should have told you. So I'm just telling you up front as well, when you determine that you're going to actually be a follower of Jesus Christ, expect it not to be an easy path, but also expect that the blessings of God come on your life, but not the blessings of the world. Because they, the only way they know how to bless is if you align with them. Now, you align with them, you're out of alignment with him. You align with him, and you're out of alignment with them. And you've got to understand that. that you keep, but, and, and I'm not trying to be harsh this morning, but we've got way too many of us that are trying to do both. And if I could use our current leadership, not in the church, but in our country, you see the response. What happens when neither side likes you? You try to do a little bit of Christian, the world hates you. You try to do a little bit of the world and God's not for you. That's not a good place to be. So make up our minds. Make up your mind. Now, what's interesting is he, he picks it up from there, and he's like, okay, now that you've got these values, I want you to understand what you're supposed to do with it. It isn't just about being some morally perfect, high-standard person. But there's a position, and there's a role, and, and this is what's interesting. He actually uses what they would understand, because this is a hilly part of the country. Remember, he's up on a, on a hill. He's up on a mountainside, and, and I say mountainside, so, you know, you think about a flat desert, so anything about 60 feet high is a mountain. They can't even perceive what, you know, Mount Hood or 14,000 feet, you know. 
He didn't climb up to 14,000 feet and sit down and teach his disciples. But he climbs up, and, I, and I, it's not in the text, but what he always does is he shows something natural that relates spiritual. Okay? So let's just go by what he did to start this off. Okay? And many of you, you missed it, just like I missed it for a long time till I start reading the Bible as if it matters instead of just reading it to check off the list. Notice that he raised up. He got above the norm, right? He went on top of the mountain. He elevated himself above the norm. And then he called people to elevate themselves above the norm. Church, I'm calling you to elevate yourself above the norm. You want to know what the norm is? Look at the opposite of verses 3 through 10. (laughs) That's the world we live in. That's the opposite. This is above the norm. Stop being all about you. Stop being arrogant. Stop being proud. Stop being selfish. Stop doing these things and you will raise yourself up for a purpose because God, as he's about to explain in this next part, has a mission and a plan for us not to just walk around like zombies that we're perfect. Look what he says. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, they all knew what salt was, and we just think of it about a container that sits, you know. But they had big uses for salt. Salt was a preservative for them to keep stuff so it didn't spoil. But notice what he says. Isn't this interesting? You, you and you and you and you and you and me, we are the salt of the earth and just so that we understand that he's talking about a value system, about elevating ourselves above that, look what he says. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? If salt doesn't act like salt, what good is it? Let me give you Tony's translation. Christians don't act like Christians. What good are you? What did he say? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now listen, he's not saying that people are worthless. But you want to know what he's saying? That every one of us knows because we've heard it and we've seen it. That when Christians don't act like Christians, when we give a message about Christ, it's considered worthless because they've seen our lives. They've seen how we act. They see how we judge. They see how we love or don't love. They see how we spend. They see how we raise our families. They see how we deal with our divorces and our marriages and our problems and our pain and our death. And when they hear about it and they see it and they say, oh, but God is love, they throw it out and it's useless. But when they notice that the person has elevated values and they live according to what they say they believe, it's not trampled underfoot. It becomes salt. It has flavor. They can detect it. We don't want to have a worthless lifestyle. We don't have a worthless spokesperson. We don't have a worthless good news. So what's he say? Let's transition. You're the light of the world. 
And I was doing a contrast. Obviously, the world must be dark if he's calling us to be light. He knew this. He was the light in the darkness. And notice what he tells him. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. In those days, they would build their buildings and they would whitewash them and you could see them with the reflected light of the desert. You could only imagine how far you could see them and then as it gets dark, guess what? They turn on the lights in the house and guess what? How far away do you think you can see the lights in that house shine in the darkness? But notice where the house is again. You're like a city on a Hmm. Now you tell me this. What's the difference between a city and a house? Do you live in a city? Do you live in a house? The city is a combination of many houses, right? So notice, you see what he's calling them to? I'm calling you all together, not to just be a house on a hill. Be a city. Let all of your individual lights come together and shine. Be the community. Be the city that shines for God. No one lights a lamp. He's, he's explaining this. They all understand this. They've all lit lamps. They, they know this, and they're like, yeah, duh, we get this. Nobody does this. And he's trying to say, that's exactly right, but we're going to give a natural value for a spiritual expectation. Look what he says. No one lights their lamp and then puts it under a basket. <laughs> and they're like, nope, nobody would do that. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And they're like, yep, that's exactly what we do. We hang it high so that the light radiates off the ceiling and it shines down and everybody can see. That, that makes so much sense. And he's talking spiritually. In the same way, look at this. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will see your church attendance and say, dang, they're a good Christian. Is that what your Bible says? Mine doesn't say that. What does he say our light is? Our light is our good deeds. If you don't speak like that, because most of us do, it's our actions. Okay? Let those shine. Let's actually act like we have these values. Let's act like we actually care so that everyone will praise you. Didn't say that either, does it? Now, here's what's hard. Because when we read this, most of the time, I believe we said it at the lowest standard. Well, I am a good person, and I, I try to be a good person at work. But there's lots of good people at work. There are people that have incredible work ethic, some people that have better work ethic than you, but they don't serve God. So what he's really saying is, you've got to have the type of life that shines so that other people actually know that there's a difference. Not just showing up to work at time, not just putting in your 40 hours, not just being respectful. Lots of people do that. This is the, if they ask you to go a mile, go to. This is the not being arrogant. This is the being 
humble. This is the being pure at heart. This is the actually living it out, and people notice that, wow, there's something about this person. That's the type of good deeds, not the normal, remember? The normal is the, the desert. He said, I'm calling, I'm going up higher. I'm calling you up higher. Then people can see your good deeds. Set your sights higher than just doing what everybody else is expected to do. And you may be saying this morning, Pastor Tony, I don't think that's really what the Bible says. That's okay. We can agree you're, you're wrong. And even though it doesn't say that, why I would say you're wrong is this. Look at the life that Jesus lived. Did he live the normal life that everybody else lived? Did he ask his followers to live the normal life that everybody else lived? Or did he always take them up and explain and and keep saying, it's about this, it's about this, and he keeps elevating them above. In fact, he would say crazy things like this. Well, the law teaches, but I tell you, it says that a lot, that that's the normal expected of everybody. But I say, like, crazy things that he would take it like, you know, don't murder in, you, you know that you're not supposed to murder and like, yep, we've all been taught that. That's just part of living in society. He says, but I say to you, you shouldn't even call your brother a fool. That's a whole, di- that's not even close to murder. It's an internal problem. Murder starts on the inside, but if you won't even get to the point where you call your brother a fool, you probably won't be tempted to murder him. But see, that's the problem. He wants to deal with it before you ever have to face it. Instead, we're like, oh, it just, now we have a term for that in America. It's called a crime of passion. I just lost my head. I wasn't thinking. But if we don't allow ourselves to let Jesus lift our standards up, if all we're trying to do is just blend in, hey, I'm at least better than my neighbor. I keep my yard mode. Do you, I mean, do you think that's the standard that he's talking about? Do you think he's talking about clothing? Now, again, you should wear it, okay? <laughs> or the car we drive? Do you think that's what he's... Notice that he says our good deeds, our actions, our decisions, our lifestyle, the ins and outs, the ebbs and flow of our day and our decisions, that's what's going to be different, and it's the out there. Man, look at that. That got my attention. I don't know if you remember this, but this was, uh, I think it was early 90s. And in, in China, they were having a lot of uh, conflict and disputes, and, and in the Tiananmen Square, a, a standoff took place. And I've been watching on the news, and people were sitting in the streets and marching in the streets and rioting in the streets and signs in the streets trying to oppose the government. And the government did what most governments do, is they armored up. And they tried... Uh, police forces, military forces, and finally they said enough of this and they rolled out with tanks. And amazingly, the crowd dispersed except for one man on the newsreel that day that stood in the middle of the street with his fist raised. Do you think anybody noticed? I noticed. I don't know if you remember that. 
when it was just the crowds, it was just a sea of faces. They were all there, and we've seen this. We, we live in between Seattle and Portland. We see the riots, and we see the mess, and, and nobody sticks out because it's just a crowd. It's just a mob, but when you see the one person, and you see the tank approaching, and he's like, I'm not moving. That gets the attention, and I'm not saying stand in front of tanks. You know that this morning. But we got to be the people that because of our lifestyle, because of our love of Jesus, we should be the people that stand out, not the people that blend in. He has never called us to blend in. And just understand that persecution, mocking, lies, and, and evil practices are part of the response to that because not because you're doing wrong, but because you make people feel guilty because you draw out of them a response that, well, who do you think you are? And, and usually when people find something different, fear comes in. I believe that Jesus was calling him to something greater. And we don't see it until later, but that's what Jesus has called us to. Look, he didn't say, come and live like everybody else. He said, why don't you come and die? And he didn't require their physical death, but he said, I want you to come and die to yourself, to your values, to your system, to, to returning hate for hate and like for like and theft for theft. And I want you to stop trying to murder the Romans. I want you to stop resisting them. I want you to follow me. And if they actually ask you to go a mile, I want you to actually take that pack too. And then you'll get their attention. Because it's those type of actions, just like Jesus did, that on the cross, when he should have been yelling and screaming and casting down hate, Jesus, to a Roman guard, hears him say, Father, forgive them. And you know what that Roman soldier said? Wow, he's just like everybody else. A hardened combat veteran that had done many executions just that day said, surely this is the Son of God. The execution didn't make it, but his attitude, his values, his lifestyle made him stand out and that centurion said, surely this man is the Son of God. We are called to be salt, salt preserves. They, they would pack the meat in salt. They, even at times, according to tradition, I, obviously I wasn't there, they would even rub babies with salt to kind of salt them up, thinking that if it works with meat, maybe it'll work with the baby and they won't get all pruned out in the sun. I, I wouldn't try that at home. The baby probably won't like it. But wherever salt isn't put on flesh, it corrupts. It begins to stink and to rot. And he has put us here on the planet. Notice that he says, you are like, you, are, you have been positioned. The sun, the light has been positioned. The hill has been positioned. The house has been positioned. The city has been positioned. And you this morning have been positioned. You are placed people. And you may think, no, there's nobody at my, my job that, exactly, that's why you're placed there. Oh, there's nobody in my family. Exactly, that's why you're placed there. The problem is we want to keep getting out of it. And he's like, I need you to be in the dark place. I need you to be in the rotting place. I need you to be exactly there. I have placed you there. And when it's difficult, just know that's exactly why you've been placed there. 
Don't keep backing out of it. I can't wait till I get in a job where I'm full of Christians. No, no, no. We don't need all the light in one spot. It's not about making it easier. That's why people are backing out of their faith right now. Is this getting harder? It's getting darker. Yes, because he needs us to shine. This world stinks. Oh, it's corrupt. Yes, he needs us to be salty. But we're losing our salt. And he's like, no wonder we have no message. No wonder we have no voice. You've lost your saltiness. It's time for us to get salty again. And I don't mean like cursing sailor salty. I don't mean that kind of salty. But people that they notice the flavor of our lives. Anybody can complain. Anybody can brag. Anybody can pick a fight. Who can stand alone and shine the light when it's dark and everything else is lost? And I'll tell you, sometimes it's through our greatest moments of pain and trouble that our light shines really bright. It's not when we say, man, look at me. I got the big house. I got the jet skis. My kids are all in great schools. Look at me. Look at me. And they're like, that's just money. What happens when you walk through death? What happens when you walk through the the miscarriage? What happens when you walk through your child making stupid choices? What happens when your child dies? What happens when the house goes away, the job goes away? What happens when your health fails? Because none of that affects the light. Oh, that's just the things that the rest of the world sees. There are people that are so dark and they've got million-dollar mansions and they're not shining for anybody. And you can say, oh, look at that house. That house will be gone someday, and what about them? He's called us to be something more than just church attendance. Notice he didn't say that, that they'll see you great church attendance and go, wow. It's what we do between. Nobody on the outside knows what you're doing here this morning. They may saw, saw you get in your car and drive away, but they don't know what you're doing here this morning. The only way they see it is when we live it out beyond these walls. And it's not easy. And he's telling them that up front, and I'm telling you that up front. It's completely cultural contrary. So wherever you see culture flowing in this theme, we need somebody that will stand against the tanks of this world and say, you know what, I'm not going that direction. I don't play that game. I don't have those values. I'm not giving in to that pressure. I am salt. I am light. It has nothing to do with you leaping up on a table at work and declaring your allegiance to Jesus Christ. What it is, is you day by day living it out. And if you get the chance to make a speech, make a speech. But most of the time, it's just letting your good deeds. Notice he said that. Not your big speeches. But on top of that, I also want to encourage you that you better know why you believe what you believe. That when somebody actually does notice... Man, why do, you, why do you live like that, pastor said? It, that better not be the answer. <laughs> because our actions are supposed to be a direct correlation, cor- bleh, correlation to giving God glory. Oh, I live this way so that God blesses me and he just brings the prosperity. Eh, 
Wrong answer. That's true, but that's the wrong answer. I live this way because God says that this is His standard, and He does bless me, but you really want to know how to do this? It wasn't always like this, but He saved me, and you begin to share your story, and then they can give glory to God and see that you're not some superhuman that was born with all this money and prestige, and you didn't just step into this, but through the character, through the blessing of God, through positioning, God has placed you in a spot to impact the people around you. And I love our church. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not poking anybody in the eye this morning. I'm saying church at large. When I say church, I mean Big C Church, not just you, church. We have to get our saltiness back. We have to get our light back because the volume has been turned way down and our light has been turned way down. <laughs> and we need to be people that understand that it's high beams all the way, baby, that we've got to be people that are salty. That doesn't mean that we have sharp tongues. It means that we live our life with flavor. And the flavor is Jesus' flavor, not world flavor. And if we really care about the world not going to hell, all that corruption, then we need to step in and be salt that's applied heavily to a world that's starting to rot and stink and be corrupt. And it's hard I'm not calling you to something easy. I'm calling you to reevaluate. How do you want to live your life? How do you want to be known? What's your end goal? I just want to get that house. Well, someday you will stand before God and you won't give an account of your house, but you will give an account for your life. And no matter where you live and how you live, he's going to say, I positioned you. What did you do with it? And, and I believe that I think with my kids and my grandkids, when you hear the great things that they're doing, you can't wait. It's like, oh, that's awesome. I want to hear, how did, how did the parent-teacher conferences go? And you lean in. Well, how did they go? I can't wait to see, because I think Jesus is going to be excited to ask people. Because again, he already knows, but he wants to hear it, right? How was your life? Come on. I've watched a movie several times over and over because not because of the actor or, or really the, the panorama behind it, but the ending scene where uh, it's called Last Samurai. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but this American gets captured by the Japanese and they're actually Bushido samurai warriors and he begins to learn their culture and begins to gain respect for them and this one man that has high moral standards and He's, he's going to serve the emperor, even if that means he has to fight the emperor. And, and then towards the end of the movie, everybody's dead except for the, the last samurai who's American. He's offering his sword on his knees to the emperor as a sign of, I'm your servant as well. And the sword is from the former lead samurai. And the emperor breaks protocol and kneels down to him and says, tell me how he died. And there's a pause. And the last samurai looks up, pain because he's been wounded, and says, I'll tell you how he lived. Church, we are all going to die. 
But God is not so concerned with that. You know what he wants to hear? How did you live? When you die, you're going to face me and you're going to find that I've prepared everything for you. That's what I've been busy doing. I want to know, how did you live? How did you live? Every man dies. How did you live? What were your values? Who did you touch? Who did you impact? What light did you shine? How salty were you? And if we could get that in our heads... It's not about being on our knees 24 hours a day praying. We've got got work to do. We've got a world to build a bridge to. Please pray, but then get on your feet and live it out. We can't keep losing ground. Because I'll tell you, it's not about putting enough people in the seats. It's not about making money. It's not about having a thriving church. It's about changing the world for Jesus Christ. Think about this. Notice that he didn't say, hey, go build a big building and let's fill it up. That's not what Jesus was about. He's like, I'm going to grab this band of guys and we're going to learn how to live. And we're going to learn how to live in such a way that people take notice And in 300 years, the people that had conquered them, the Romans, now think about this. I saved this for the end for the dramatic impact. Raise of hands this morning. Get your shoulders levered up. Come on, you can do it this morning. How many of you have heard the phrase Roman Catholic? Come on, look around this morning. Okay, hands down. How many of you think that the Romans were Catholic to begin with? pagan, multi-God following, and within 300 years, even today, they have the largest amount of crosses on buildings in the world. And you may be thinking, well, that's because the Pope lives there. How do you think the Pope got there? Because a band of ragtag followers of Jesus took the gospel out and turned the Roman Empire into people that believed in following Christ. And it started with just 12 guys. And then it came 70. And then it just began to spread out. But not people that lived in big houses that showed prosperity. People that understood humility and poorness and loss and suffering. And they were willing to do what it took to be salt and to be light. And if you ever get the chance to go there, I, I, would, I haven't been there. I want to go and, and take my wife sometime. Think about the architecture that exists because of Christian influence. Amazing. To a group, a government that was trying to eradicate it, right? They were literally trying to hunt down the Jews. And all of a sudden, within just a short amount of time in the world span, it, be, it is now the hotbed of religious activity. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to charge you with this last one. Let's not settle for Christian. Let's not settle for attender. Don't even settle for believer. When Jesus has called us to something far more important and something far more powerful, 
He's called us to something that is going to sharply contrast with our culture, and it's for a purpose. It's not so that you get persecuted, but by doing and following this standard, that, that persecution may come. He's called us to be salt and light. And for those of you that are older, that have been doing this for a while, please don't lose your saltiness. I know you may never walk away from Christ, but have you toned it down? Are you blending in because you think, man, I just... He hasn't called you to blend in. You need to be the saltiest of the saltiest. You've walked it longer. And those of you that are younger, turn up the light. Don't think you have to follow their values. Don't let them shame you into becoming like them. You are the ones that set the course. You are the ones that set the bar. You are the ones that get to determine how bright your light is going to shine and whether it's going to be a dark light or whether it's going to be the bright light of the gospel. And those of you in between that are busy raising your families, raise them with saltiness. Raise them with light. Raise them to be people that stand out, not blend in. But, but then... What if they say mean things to my kids? That's part of the deal. They're going to say mean things anyway. (laughs) At least let there be a cause behind it that they're living for something bigger than themselves, that they're inheriting something bigger than themselves. He's called us to be salt and light. Without salt, corruption sets in. If we want to stop the corruption, we need to be salt. Without light, we lose our way. Church, I feel like we are on the verge of either way in this nation. We're either going to shine forth and we're going to find our way again, or we're about to lose our way. And I don't know if you sense that, but I sense that. We're hanging in that balance. Are we going to light up and show our way again? You know what made America great? Christ. Christian believers following a set of morals and ethics and a lifestyle. Capitalism didn't make America great. It's time to light up. It's time to get salty again. He's positioned you. He's, he has placed you in a corrupt and a dark culture so that we can help preserve and we can help show the way. Imagine if you think of it like that. Instead of all those wacko people, those are people that are, it's my job to help keep corruption from setting in, Right? Now listen, I get this from a nursing standpoint, and you've even heard the phrase, right? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever heard of the phrase, rubbing salt in a wound? Okay? Does it, do you think it feels good? <laughs> but did you know it also doesn't harm the tissue? Because when somebody's dehydrated, you actually give them a saline salt solution because your body understands and can... Pro- now it doesn't feel good in the open wound, but guess what? It'll begin to purify it. We have to step in into woundedness and be salt, not to go, oh, look at how I'm squirm. That's not what we're here for, but to start the healing process. We're there to be light to the world. So we're going to pray for each other this morning, and don't worry, you don't have to touch anybody. That's for you, Caleb. But we're going to pray for the people on our right and our left that they'll be salty and they'll be light this morning. And then your homework is going to be that when we leave this place, you're going to decide, how how do I need to be salty? Not snotty, not sarcastic, not obnoxious, but salty. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray for the person on my right this morning. 
God, I pray that you would help them find it in them as they follow you to turn the light way up, that they would be a city on a hill that others can see from miles away. God, not showy, not arrogant, not selfish, but a light that shines brightly for you. Lord, I pray for the person on my left this morning. God, would you help them be salt? God, that preserves it as a world begins to get corrupt and to begin to stink and to rot and its value system brings corruption. God, I pray that we would be the preservative. God, you love people. You died for people, not for a planet, not for a patch of dirt or for trees. You died for people. God, would you help us preserve as the flesh gets corrupted. And Lord, we pray for ourselves this morning. Help me to take up the charge this morning. Help me to go back and read this as I read verses 3 through 10 and I begin to say, will I be a peacemaker? Will I be humble? Will I know how to mourn? Will will I understand loss? Will, Will I be somebody that's meek? It doesn't mean that I'm weak, but it means that I'm somebody that knows the gentle strength on the inside, and I'm going to inherit the earth. So God, would you start with us right here at our church? Help us to be salt and light to a lost and dark world. God, I pray that you would change hearts this morning, that people have been busy about themselves, caught up in their routine. And they don't have to change the routine. They just have to be present in it. Remembering that somebody's watching, somebody's waiting, that we must be salt and light no matter how dark it gets, no matter how corrupt it gets. It's it's easy to give in and give up. It's easy to back away. It's easy to stop going to church because nothing seems to be happening. And yet... Somehow we can change the world when we sell out to be salt and light. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to the shopping center tomorrow, when you're dealing with your family tomorrow, when you encounter darkness, guess what you should do? Don't point it out. To shine, right? When you encounter corruption, just be salt, right? How you act is going to be so much better than what you say and how you criticize. Be salt, be light, and God bless you. He's going to bless you when you have those virtues. Have an awesome rest of your day.